Amen. We're so glad you're here this morning. We're going to give you opportunity to partner with us in giving. We're going to worship the Lord with our giving. So excited to do that. You can do that from the envelopes on the seat back in front of you. You can do that by texting the number on the screen. You can also give online at lake-church.com. And you can download the new app uh, and you can give that away. So several ways in which you can give. Uh, we are gearing up for camp season around here. June is our big camp season. Uh, and every year at camp, everything just always escalates more and more. And so last year uh, at youth camp, we were uh, casting out devils of, of students and we were ministering to people. It's always students baptized in the Holy Spirit, being delivered. We had a, a whole pile of vapes and, and different things, fancy devices that they use to smoke stuff. I don't even know what they're called. Uh, that we got a you know, break uh, in an honorarium to the Lord that students just willingly gave up to us. And so you're a part of a place that brings forth freedom to every generation. The freedom that can only be found in Jesus. And so when you partner here and you sow into this house, just know that you're sowing into a place that is bringing liberty to the captives. Amen? Amen. So the ushers are going to stand, and I have a few announcements for you before Pastor Greg brings the word. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for the ministry that you've just deposited right here at 4851 Junction. Father, we thank you that it is your work we're doing here. And so we partner with it in joy this morning, knowing that people are being set free all over the world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Just a couple announcements. We want to let you know after service, both services this morning, we're going to have burgers to go. And so don't waste your time going to any place in town. Just get food here. It's also going to help our missionaries go to the Dominican Republic this summer. Uh, and so you get to eat and you get to send some missionaries to the Dominican. Uh, and so you're double blessed. Uh, secondly, the last thing is Pastor Greg's class tonight, Disclosure at Area 51, the big black building. Don't forget about it. You get to see all the crazy things running through Pastor Greg's head at Disclosure. So he gets to reveal all those to you, teach those things. You get to see what he's studying. It's a great time. It's really not crazy because he's always using the word, but uh, it, it blows me away when I hear some of that stuff. So we want to invite you to be there tonight at six o'clock. It's going to be great. Now turn it over to Pastor Greg. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. How we doing? Let's get started. The Lord has a lot for us today. Amen. Do you believe that? I believe it. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to try to wrap up this teaching on uh, praise God, press. Amen? Amen. Press. And uh, we have to understand that uh, many people want the will of God to play out in their life. You know, like you put a, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into vinyl. I put a vinyl record on my record player. And uh, I just let it play. Or I put in a CD or whatever digital download, I just let it play. And many people have this idea about the will of God for their life that it's just going to automatically play. And uh, that God's going to put the stylus on the vinyl and it's just going to go through the grooves perfectly and everything's going to flow like it should. But we must understand that uh, when we're fulfilling the will of God, it's not just a linear track but it's also a cyclical cycle and that God takes us from glory to glory through cycles. And we talked about that last week. And so when we talk about the press, we're talking about the time in which Jesus 
reached the intersection between his passions and what he wanted to do in the flesh and what the will of God was. And if Jesus, the God-man, came to that point in his life, you're going to come to that point many times in your life as well. An intersection in which your flesh does not want to do what God is asking you to do. And you're going to have wrestles of will. Okay? So we're talking about suffering. And many people have misconceptions about what suffering is. Because some people, of course, there is suffering in this world. And the suffering in this world is sickness and disease and poverty and things of that nature. That's suffering of the world. But Christ has redeemed us from that. So we shouldn't be claiming that our suffering physically is from God. It is not. Our our suffering from poverty is God. It is not. We don't suffer things that Jesus died for. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that you're not suffering from those. Uh, It just simply means that the spiritual capacity to overcome those things has been given to you in Christ Jesus. You've got to appropriate it by faith and walk in the truth of it. And progressively, you'll begin to see those things begin to fall off of your life. Amen? And uh, that's been the case in my life. The closer that I get to the Lord, the more these things begin to fall off of my life. The more intimate I am with him, the greater level of eternal life I experience. It's not that God divvies out eternal life. It's not that he distributes them like a Pez dispenser. It's that he has lavishly poured upon you everything that he, you could ever need. It just takes our faith, understanding that by grace he has given these things, so we appropriate it by faith. Amen? You cannot work to get any of this. It is freely given to you. The work that you go into it is fighting opposition to it becoming yours. That is where the work is at. But you don't have to work for God. You don't have to work for it. It's been freely given. The work is the wrestle. The work is the wrestle. The wrestle with your own will, the wrestle with the opposition of the enemy. Amen? And so let's look at uh, verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, some translations say in the flesh for us, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now if you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus explained this many times. He said, if they call me Beelzebub, what are they going to call you? He said, if they're going to persecute you, what are they going to do? They're going to persecute you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. But if they love me, they're going to love you. Amen? Sometimes that's even not true. But, uh, <laughs> but the Lord said it, so I believe it. Amen? Uh, you know, so we need to understand that, that, that what Jesus went through, we're going to go through. Maybe not to the extreme because we aren't the bearer of the sin of the world. But we're going to go through things that mirror what Jesus went through. Maybe not to the same scope, maybe not to the same level, but we are the body of Christ and members in particular. The persecution that he felt, the stuff that he went through is what the body of Christ in general will go through in this world. All that live godly shall suffer 
persecution. Did you know that? He, he didn't say you'll suffer sickness and disease or you'll suffer poverty or the curse of the law. He says you're going to suffer persecution. And many times you'll find yourself in, in places in which you know what the will of God is, you know what God is asking you to do, but the level of pressure that's on your life causes you to continue wrestle with it instead of stepping in and stepping on the will of God for your life. And that's where many people are at today. I've talked to people and many people are wrestling with the will of God for their life. And uh, besides having opposition from the enemy of, to fulfilling that plan, you've got this enclosure that called your flesh that you've got to deal with. And then you've got a soul that, if it's not renewed, will fight you every step of the way. And so you've got a battle. And that's where the battle, that's where the work is. That's the reason why we need to have a prayer life. That's the reason why we need to be in the Word. That's the reason why we need to serve. Did you know the reason why you need to serve? Because you put your flesh in subjection. When people don't serve, they're not putting their flesh in subjection. They don't understand the process. I've had people that, that come in and, and uh, they basically want, uh, they wonder why we've got, you know, people volunteering and doing certain things. Well, the reason why we do that is because that's a discipleship principle. Yeah. You see, service gets you outside of yourself. Amen. Amen? Well, let's read on. It says right here. It says, he suffered in the, uh, in the flesh. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whosoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So how many want to live for the will of God? Yes. Well, the number one obstacle is human passions. The number one obstacle to your life in serving the will of God and fulfilling the will of God is human passions. Notice it did not say demonic attack. It said human passions. The greatest wrestles you'll have are not with demons. The greatest wrestle you have is not with principalities and powers, even though we wrestle against them. Your greatest wrestle is going to be you. Amen? And this is what Gethsemane teaches us. Jesus wrestled with his human passions against the will of God. And he was able to say, after long tortured prayers, not my will, but thine be done. Amen? So you've got to understand that uh, what, we're, what, what Gethsemane does and the reason why Gethsemane is so vital and important is because Gethsemane teaches us how to put to death the passions of the flesh. Okay? Because the more I am in the passions of the flesh, the more I am dead to the realm of the spirit. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yes. So the more I interact, communicate, and operate in the realm of the Spirit, 
the more I am dead to the passions of the flesh. Do you understand that? Okay. So what Gethsemane teaches is that Jesus, first off, we establish he had a prayer life. He had a place in which he prayed. He was consistent in his walk with the Lord. And when he came to the crossroads in his life where it really mattered, not just for himself, but for you and I, he was able to answer the call because he had the necessary abilities built up in his daily walk with the Lord to answer that call. Jesus was not crucified by man. There was no whip that could penetrate his flesh without him giving absolute and utter permission and yielding himself over to the will of God. And the reason why Jesus could be crucified and go through the horrible anguish that he went through is because he crucified himself at Gethsemane. You've got to learn to take care of your flesh. When you're going through a situation in your life and you have unbridled flesh and unbridled passions, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to say stupid stuff, and you're going to do dumb things. That's what you're going to do. And the reason why you need to have a prayer life is because you live in a world of crisis. You live in a world in which things are not right. Relationships are not right. You, you know, interactions are not right. The way you operate is not right. And so you need a prayer life to be able to get yourself in line with the purpose and will of God so that when life comes at you, and it will come at you, you're ready. And when you're faced with something that is insurmountable, that you have nothing in you to be able to overcome it, you can look as Jesus looked and said, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. Amen. So when we talk about the suffering of the Lord, we're not talking about sickness and disease. I have to say this over and over and over again because people think they're Job out there. I'm Job. No, Job got blessed. Well, I've got Paul's thorn. Okay. Well, guess what? Paul got rid of his thorn. <laughs> The last, chap the last verse of the last chapter of the book of Acts, it says that he was able to do the will of God, no man impeding him. He got rid of his thorn. So people like to wallow in that and get all religious about stuff like that. And this is free. This is for someone out here. Because I'm not talking about this, but I'm telling you that when we talk about suffering, there's people say, yes, I've suffered this ailment for years. I'm just suffering for the Lord. No, you're not. No, you're not being truthful with yourself. You're not being truthful with the Lord. You're not suffering for the Lord with sickness and disease. Jesus bore your sickness. Hello. Okay. So let's turn in our Bibles to the gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> the gospel of Matthew. And I believe it's going to be around the 27th chapter. Yeah, 27. Jesus was preparing himself for what the ultimate will of God was for his life. He prepared himself through prayer. 
Why do we or why would we ever believe that we could do the will of God for our lives without it? Why would we ever think that we could answer the call without prayer? There's just no way. But yet many try to fulfill the will of the Lord in their flesh. And they never accomplish it. Because you're in the realm of the enemy. When you're in your flesh, you're in the realm of the enemy. And you get into this legalistic mindset to where if you believe that I dot every I and cross every T, that automatically the will of God will come. How many realize that doesn't really, by experience, how many realize that doesn't really happen? Are you with me? So Jesus has already been betrayed, or he's about to be betrayed, you know, by Judas Iscariot, who was not an outside part of his ministry team. He was an integral part of his ministry team. He was the, um, <clears throat> the one that held the money and took care of financing the ministry. So he was someone that Jesus talked with continuously. He was a friend because you can't be betrayed by a stranger. So here he's being betrayed by one of his own disciples. He's going through that. Secondly, he's at the most crucial point of his life in which he's going through insurmountable pain and anguish over the will of God of his li in his life. And he takes his three besties to go and pray with him and they can't do it. Have you ever been in a spot in which people that loved you and that you felt you could count on did not understand the season you were in and could not answer the call to be the support that you needed them to be? And then after you get arrested, after Christ gets arrested, they all run away. So he's abandoned. So Jesus faces betrayal. He faces disappointment in his relationships. And then he faces absolute abandonment. No one stood with him. He was taken by himself with absolutely no physical support in his life. And then we read this. In the 27th chapter, in verse number 27, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion. Now, this isn't just 10 people. This is a whole group of soldiers, probably 600 or so. They put him in that place with all these men of war, with all these pagan soldiers, and they begin to abuse him. Okay? And they stripped him. Have you ever been stripped? Hello? Maybe not physically. But have you ever been stripped by someone's words, humiliated, 
shamed. I'm here to tell you that the press, Jesus is showing us this process of what the true suffering of a child of God is. You will, if you live godly, there are people that are going to want to strip you. Hello. They're going to want to strip you. They want to discredit you. Character assassinates you. Make you look dumb and make you look stupid. Hello. We're finding it now on a national level like we've never seen before. It's going to get worse, guys. But you better be ready. Gethsemane is the key. The secret is Gethsemane. How was Jesus able to take that stripping? He was He had already stripped himself. Oh, come on now. He'd already stripped himself at Gethsemane. You see, the most powerful human being that ever walked planet Earth is Jesus Christ. But yet they led him. They led him. The leader got led. The creator got carted around by the created To suppress that ability, to call upon 12 legions of angels, had to be the hardest wrestle Jesus ever had in his life. When you know you can do something, and you choose not to, oh, come on now, and you choose not to do it, that is a major battle of your will. And Jesus, I mean, my goodness, they came and said, we want Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am, and they fell to the ground. If he could have done anything, he he would have done it. But he submitted himself to the will of God. Many times that people will strip you, and the Lord will tell you to say nothing. Even when you got information. Even when you know the whole story. And the Lord will say, be quiet. You got the power to vindicate yourself. You've got the power, but the Lord won't let you use it. Oh, come on, guys. Have you ever been stripped? Notice what else it says. And they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him. Have you ever been mocked? How could Jesus, you know, when it talks about mocked, the Greek word there means they they played games. They probably reenacted some of Jesus' miracles. They mocked him and had people, him lay hands and people fall out and doing all kinds of stupid stuff and, you know, belittling him, belittling his ministry, belittling things that he said. Have you ever been mocked for your faith? See, this is the true suffering of a Christian, and you better get ready for it. It's already happening, guys. And if you're not ready, you haven't been to Gethsemane. 
Gethsemane wasn't a one-time place for Jesus. As we read before, it was his custom to go to Gethsemane. What's your custom? Because I'm here to tell you, they're going to come to strip you and they're going to come to mock you. They're already doing it. They may not just come out and say Christian. Now they're using the word Christian. You know what they call us, even though some of us may not necessarily be that? They call us conservatives. Now, whether you agree with that title or not, I don't agree with that title or not, but that's the way the world sees us. They don't see it because it's, 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 it's too um, sensitive to use the word Christian, so they use conservative. They lump us all in the same pool. Now they're actually saying it's Christians that are the problem. They're saying that right now. So the rhetoric is dialing up. Well, how? You know, Jesus shows us how to deal with this stuff. How could he sit there after helping literally thousands upon thousands of people? And the same people that he's dying for and giving his life for are the ones that are mocking him. How could he sit there and take that and open not his mouth, as the Bible said? It's because he mocked, he was mocked at Gethsemane. He made a decision that this was going to happen. This is the will of God for this time. I'm going to continue to turn the other cheek as I taught, go the extra mile. I mean, Jesus hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How do you get to that place, friends? Because I'm telling you, stuff that he went through, I don't know that I could have went through. No, definitely not. <clears throat> it gets better, guys. All right? It says, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And notice this, and they spit on him. Now, this was just one out of three occasions in which this stuff happened. The whole night he was spit on, he was abused and beaten by three different sets of people that were judging him and casting judgment upon his crimes, so to speak, which he had none. In fact, when Herod wanted to see him, Herod was excited to see him because his father was the one that had all the babies killed. And his father didn't get to see him. But this Herod, he's getting to see him, and he's excited. So Jesus comes to him, and he says, do a miracle for me. Do a miracle on demand. And Jesus wouldn't do it. Gethsemane eliminates all exits from the will of God. I mean, if Jesus would have done a miracle right before on demand, I guess what? It would have probably played out a whole lot differently. But he chose not to. And guess what happened? Herod threw a fit. 
and the people around him, the Greek says, they went out of their mind. The Greek is a little more graphic than our English translations tell us. Even in the court of Caiaphas, they would stand before him. Each one of the elders would stand before Jesus and they would spit on him directly. And they would take turns doing that. They also did this in Herod. They also did this in, have you ever been spit on? What does it mean to get spit on? I mean, it is the absolute most disdainful action to discredit and humiliate your opponent. When you spit on somebody, you are basically saying, you are absolutely nothing to me. The utter rejection that you feel when you are spit upon. How many know what I'm talking about? You might not have been physically spit upon, but you can be mentally spit upon. You can be figuratively spit upon. When people disdain you, when people marginalize you, when people diminish you, when people don't even acknowledge your existence. Because what they were saying with their spit was it would be better if you had never been born because you do not count in this world. Boy, it's getting quiet. Jesus was spit upon. How did he handle the spit? Well, the secrets at Gethsemane. The very religious leaders that taught about him and taught his word, the Torah, are the ones spitting in his face. Can you imagine that? How did he handle it? He opened not his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He didn't give accusation for accusation. He didn't rail for railing. See, that's where we get in trouble. Hello. All you Facebook heroes out there, that's where you get in trouble. Trying to validate your point and trying to do that. So, you know, it'd be better off you don't say anything. Hello. But I'm telling you, how was he able to stand there is because he, he went to Gethsemane. What does Gethsemane mean? It's the place of the press. That's what Gethsemane means, the place of the press. You've got to go to the place of the press before you're able to be pressed. You've got to go there in here before you can take it out here. Amen? Oh, this is going so good. Notice this. And it says, and when they had, uh, and then it says in him, and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him and then stripped him again, they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. So here you're seeing the full scope of what suffering is for a Christian. This is legitimate suffering. Now, we're not being physically crucified at this time, 
but how many have felt figuratively, metaphorically crucified? You can feel that way. I mean, people after you, persecuting you, slandering you, making it difficult for you, things of that nature. Now, it does not bear the horrible effects that Jesus went through. It pales in absolute comparison. But we must understand that Jesus is an example. His extreme example shows us the many variations of that that we go through in a world that is opposed to God and opposed to the will of God. And they're wanting you to go down the current of the culture, down the stream of culture, and you're going up against it. You're going to face things like mocking, like being stripped, like being marginalized, like being spit upon. You're going to see all these things, okay? So how does this work out? Well, let's look at another scripture. Let's go to Colossians. Are you getting anything out of this? The Spirit of the Lord is here and is dealing with, with people's hearts, preparing our hearts, preparing our lives. We shouldn't fear these things. Gethsemane actually brought Jesus to a place of boldness. It says after he prayed the third time, it says angels came, they ministered to him, and they gave him strength. And so as we talked about in our previous sessions, Jesus was utterly fatigued to the point in which he was bleeding great drops of blood. His uh, epidermis layers had separated, filling them with blood and dripping out of the pores of his skin. So that is when you're under great duress and great pressure, that's what happens. And it says that he got on his knees. Well, we saw that he fell on the ground. He fell on the ground and he wallered on the ground. Many times like you and I, when we're in pain, when we're crying out to the Lord, and sometimes we're embarrassed at, at what we say and how we do and, 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 and the tears that we shed. But Jesus did all that. And if the Son of Man, the Son of God did that, Praise God, we need to feel more emboldened to come to that place of intimacy and realize that God is not rejecting anything that we bring to him. There's been a lot of times, you know, I've walked away and said, Lord, I'm sorry I didn't hear Not one time did he ever say, yeah, that was a little off. Yeah, you were a little out of, out of place there, Yeah. You kind of got too familiar, son. Not one time. Not one time. He told me one time, I was sitting there saying, I said, Lord, I don't want to know what to say. I was going through a problem. I prayed, 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 prayed. Still going through the issue, still going through the problem. And I said, I don't want to say anything that's going to undermine anything you're trying to do in my life. I don't know what to say. He said, son, when you come into that strong tower, he said, it's just you and me. He said, you lay it all out because I already know it. He said, I already know everything that's on the inside of you. The more you lay it out, the more I can work. He said, but when you walk out of that tower, you walk with your head held high and your shoulders straight. Because I got you. Amen. Great area of vulnerability. You know, people are afraid of vulnerability. They're afraid of opening themselves up. We, we really live an armored life, not God's armor. 
our own protective things that we try to put in our lives to protect us from ridicule, rejection. But I'm telling you, the more you get into Gethsemane, the more you get into the secrets of Gethsemane, the more you're going to be able to walk in that spiritual armor. You're going to understand your righteousness. You're going to understand truth. You're going to understand the word. You're going to understand faith. You're going to understand all these things. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse number 1 of Colossians. It says, if you've then been raised with Christ, how many are raised with Christ? Five of you. That's good. We'll give an altar call to you, to the rest. I know there's more people raised with Christ in here. Amen. I'm proud to say I'm raised with Christ. How about you? It says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have, what's that next word? What was that next word? What's that next word again? Well, we don't like that word. For you have died, praise God, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we go back to our original text. It talks about that we should no more live according to the passions of the flesh, but the will of God. Okay, the passions of the flesh are stimulated by an active ingredient or force that was breathed into the nostrils of Adam and Eve when they sinned. God breathed the breath of lives in them, but the adversary breathed another breath. And that breath is what your carnal nature is energized by. It's called pride. And I'm telling you, pride is ugly. I don't want to ever, anybody seated in this room or anybody that calls this place their home church, I don't want to ever get up here and minister your funeral and say, he was a proud man. Because God hates it. We play with it in our culture. It's no big deal. We talk about pride in our nation. I, I'm, my kids are my pride and joy. And pride is, oh, it's like a dirty diaper to God. The Bible says that the proud he knows afar off. He says the proud shall be made what? Low. Before pride comes destruction. Our main, you know, pride, destruction, you know, comes because of pride. I mean, the Bible warns us about pride continuously. Hello. So when it comes to our passions, it's based upon our own personal pride. Our way of life. What I want to do. How I want to live. My decisions. You know, I don't know if you've ever preached before people, but it's very interesting to look at people's faces. It's very interesting. You'll be teaching something that is clearly the truth of the Word of God, and you can look out over a group of people, and many times you will see people that will just be sitting there, and you know inside their head they're saying, I might do that if I want to. Hello. Hello. 
You know, I'd like everybody's forehead to have a television set on the front of it. <laughs> so you could kind of see what's going on in their head. There are other places, and they're surfing other channels. The majority of it is channel me, me TV. In fact, some of you are visualizing yourself sitting down and eating whatever you're cooking at home right now. Hello. Because we got me TV going on. Some of you are rehearsing something that happened to you this past week. And you're giving variations and scenes with director commentary. Pride is ugly. Pride is absolutely ugly. Pride and selfishness go hand in hand. But did you know that also proud people are deceived people? The Bible says in Obadiah, the third verse, the pride of thine heart has deceived you. So when you get elevated in pride, which is basically the nature of the flesh, you begin to look for self-sufficiency, selfish gain, wanting your way, and wanting God to do what you want him to do. And that is where Gethsemane comes in. Because Gethsemane, listen, notice what Jesus said. Is there any other way to do this? That's what he said. If you paraphrase what he said, he said, is there any other way this can be done? And how many have ever, you know, kind of bartered with the Lord? You know, kind of tried to make some kind of negotiation. And the Lord is steadfast and true. For him to be true means that he don't change. I mean, you can't have truth and have somebody that changes. And you're bartering with God saying, well, I'll do this and I'll do that and try to make it up. And, 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 and listen, you're never going to go to the place God has for you bartering with the Lord. You can't give your way out of it. You can't serve your way out of it. There's no amount of sacrifice you can give to get you away from this. Jesus said, is there any other way? You're going to say, is there any other way? Somebody's facing a, a, um, a fierce conversation with a family member in this house this morning. Lord's dealt with you. The Lord has told you to set them down and to let them know what you see and what's going on to help them and to aid them. But you're afraid. You're scared. You're afraid you might lose a relationship. That's not going to go away. You can avoid and walk away from it. You can put it off and procrastinate. It's not going away. You need to tell them and trust the Lord. Amen? So we're to consider ourselves what? Dead. What does Gethsemane do? It causes us to die to the flesh. 
Humility means to be brought low. Pride in the scripture means to lift up, to raise up, and to try to ascend. Too many of us are trying to fight problems with the wrong element. We think if I can get more self-sufficient, if I can get more resources, if I can fortify myself, if I can secure myself, life will be better. Nothing will be, nothing's further from the truth. It's only when we come in humility. Now, this, this, is a, this is a very tricky thing that the devil does for us and does to us. You've got to understand this is that everything comes by grace. Grace requires humility. You have to humble yourself to receive something. That's all there is to it. Some things are easy to receive and some things are extremely difficult to receive. Some people have built themselves up on so much pride and so much self-sufficiency that they can't even receive groceries when their children are hungry. There are people that can't receive promotions nor raises unless it is done the way they think it should be done. There are people that try to receive from the Lord a certain way and will accept no other way whatsoever. And they find themselves continually battling in their body because they will not submit themselves in humility to the grace of God. Are you with me? I'm preaching way better than you're saying amen. So what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you over in the basis of works. Because he knows that works neutralize grace. It totally neutralizes it. In fact, the Bible says you fall from grace. You fall from grace whenever you operate in works. Okay? So let me give you an example of that. I got seven minutes, all right? Let me give you an example of this. I've had people come to me, and this is for someone in the room. Uh, I've had people come to me and they say, you know what, Pastor, I believe in divine healing. I believe, I believe what you're saying about it, but there's always a big but in the way. Hello. And so they go, but... I knew this woman, or my aunt, or my mother, or my father. They were the best Christian I have ever known in my life. They were always in church. They served. They gave. They would build churches in other parts of the world, and they did all these good things. But yet they got cancer and they died. Okay? All right? How many have ever got hit with that? All right? Well, what I'm about to tell you is this psychological operation that the enemy does is that once you get saved by grace, that you live by works. And nothing could be further from the truth. You walk by faith. You live by faith. The Bible says that. Hello. 
So here's, here's the thing that you need to understand. What do her or his or their works have to do with anything in regards to their healing? The answer is this. Now, let me give you another scenario. Say that there was a rich man in this community. And he was a, he was a good man. He gave money to the ball fields and, you know, and gave money to the, um, you know, to uh, organizations and, and even the church. He, he gave money to the church and helped people. He was known as a good moral businessman, a great guy, a wonderful man. But he dies and he goes to hell because he did not make Jesus the Lord of his life. What do his works have anything to do with where he's at eternally? Zero. Because it's not about his works at all. How could Jesus go through what he went through? He understood it wasn't about what he did. It's what about the Father did. How do we face the same thing? It's not about what we do. It's about what he did. Otherwise, you're going to be manipulated. Because Jesus, just a few days before this time at Gethsemane, was having palm branches laid upon the ground as he went into Jerusalem on a foil. And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The very same people that are doing that are now saying crucify him. See, Gethsemane causes you to not be manipulated. Gethsemane causes you to not be altered by either praise or criticism. Why? Because you're dead. See, if I had a coffin up here and we had a, a, a person that is deceased up here and we just lifted that old lid up and I said, you know, you're one of the sorriest human beings I have ever met in my life. And you are ugly, too. You are ugly. And you come by it honest because your mama's ugly, too. Is that body going to come up? No. Is it going to respond? Is he going to, come on now. Is he going to say, I'm going to choke, get up out of that coffin and choke the fire out of you? He's not going to do nothing. Why? Because he's dead. That's good. That's good, Pastor. What does Gethsemane do? It puts to death this screamy Mimi right here. I can't believe they said that about me. I can't believe that. Listen, listen that's your pride talking. That's your pride talking. That, that's the voice of the flesh. That's your pride talking. Well, they need to know the truth. I need to give them a piece of my mind. No, 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 no. That's not necessary. You ain't got it in the bank to give, baby. 
you're going to do yourself more harm. He that sows to the flesh shall reap what? Corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, but see this same deceased person, if I was to go up and to say, you know what? You were the best Christian I ever knew in my life. You did things. You were second only to Jesus. Would he respond to that? Absolutely not. Because why? He's D-E-A-D dead. Hello. He's not moved. Gethsemane calluses the flesh. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel something. It just means that you're just going to have a little bit more insulation to be able to stand strong and to be able to come against the accusations of the adversary because he speaks through all kinds of people and he speaks through all kinds of circumstances. And he begins to tell you this and begins to tell you that. You're going to die. You're not going to make it. You're never going to get to where you want to go. He tells you that all the time. And what happens is your blood pressure starts rising. You get filled with anxiety. You start beginning to get all wrapped up. You start sassing and talking to other people the way you feel. And you have just had flesh fest. Because that's the whole thing. He's inviting your flesh to start in the conversation. But if you're dead, if you're D-E dead, as we say in the hood, (laughs) you ain't going to be bothered by it. I'm not going to say it ain't going to hurt. I'm not going to tell you that you're not going to wince and and be aggravated with it and stuff like that. But there is a greater one that lives on the inside of you. Here's something that needs to be said. When you're faced with adversity in your life, why do you ask why? You deserve death. I deserve death. It's only by the grace of God. See, when you get out of this mindset that you don't deserve what's going on in your life, it frees you to the reality of grace. You want to get into the realm of grace? Stop taking up for yourself. You are where you're at because you are where you're at. Hello. The devil's a legalist. That means he only works by legal means. Oh, let, let that drop on you. Let it drop on you. He shows up because he's got legal basis to. You have opened the door. Stop saying, why is this happening to me? And say, Lord, I know something, and I want to repent of that, and I want to get right, 
and I want to do what's necessary, show me, reveal to me. I humble myself before you instead of saying, why, God, why? Why is this? Yeah. Nothing. I do this, and I do that, and I've done this, and I've done that. And why? You know, I'm sitting in an ICU room, and I'm a pastor. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. Zero. Zero. I give to missionaries. Hello. You ever seen Family Feud back in the old days? They had that. Well, I'm here to tell you that you can talk about that all you want to. I don't see Jesus doing that. I don't see him saying, you know, I fed the poor and you know, I've, I've, I did this and, you know. And the Wagner family for the steel. I'm telling you, it's what you're wrapped with that gives you the biggest problem. Hello. Nobody likes to get hit. Nobody likes to get spit on. Nobody likes to be marginalized. No one likes to be talked about. No one likes to be character assassinated. But how many of us can say truthfully and honestly, it's when I try to defend myself that it gets worse. He was accused by Caiaphas. He was accused by Annas. He was accused by Pontius Pilate. Even though Pontius Pilate wanted to wipe himself clean from the whole thing, he asked him, don't you see what these people are saying about you and you don't say anything? Because in Roman law, if they ask you a question three times and you did not answer, you were considered guilty. That's the reason why he never answered. Well, I just got to tell them the truth. I just got to make this. I got to make, I got to make a post. Set everything straight. You look like a fool. You look like an absolute fool. And the devil's having a wonderful time with you. Because see, he plays the long game. It ain't about that initial offense. He wants to build something on you and inside you to where when you come to your Gethsemane, you ain't ready. You're not ready. You're being prepared right now, right now, for your greatest victory or your greatest tragedy. Are you ready? Because great victories can bring great pride and bring great destruction. Great tragedy can also bring great pride and great destruction. That's the whole point. Gethsemane. Are you cooperating with the press? 
Are you letting God deal with your life? Are you opening yourself up to him? Because I'm here to tell you that once you go from Gilgal, like we talked about last week, we go to Gilgal, and you get over to Jordan, you're going to walk into an entirely new way of life. Amen? Hallelujah. Now have the musicians come up. Praise the Lord. We've talked about a lot of powerful things these past three weeks. Powerful because they come from the Word of God. Jesus said, thy word is what? Truth. So when we teach the Word of God and we preach the Word of God, we're preaching the truth. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know whether you're at Gilgal, whether you're at Bethel, whether you're at Jericho, or whether you're on the Jordan. Some of you are about to pass over. Some of you are about to cross over to the other side of something. Some of you are being confronted with changes that you need to make in your life. Some are in that download experience in which God is just bringing uh, new life into you and you can feel the healing coming on. Others are being tested with what God has given them. But if you're wrestling in any way this morning, as the ministers come up here, because I want us to have an altar call right now, if you are wrestling with a wrestle of the will, and you say, you know what, I, I need, I need prayer, I want you to come up here right now. I want you to come up here right now. Come up here right now and receive prayer. Find somebody and receive prayer. Hallelujah. I know there are many that are wrestling in this room. Jesus said, come unto me. All you that are labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why are you struggling? You need to be up here, brother. Get up here. Come on. Get up here. Get up here. Get up here. Hallelujah. Jesse, would you pray with him? Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. There's wrestles going on. There's no reason to walk out of here getting ready to be suited up. Some of you are hating Monday. You're, you're dreading Monday. You're dreading Monday. Because you know you got to strap that thing on and you got to get down and you got to start wrestling. I'm here to tell you, it's time to break free. Come on now, sister. Hallelujah. It's time to break free. It's time to break free. I said it's time to break free from that. God wants to bring a Sabbath rest to you. God wants to bring a Sabbath rest to you. I feel that very strongly. A Sabbath rest to your life. No longer grinding your teeth. No longer your muscles tense. Your temples hurting. Your ears pounding. That's for someone in this place right now. 
The stress and the anxiety of what you're going through is insurmountable. God wants to deliver you from that. Some of you are wrestling with relationships in your life. You're wrestling with, with attitudes towards others. It's stealing from you. It's not, ta- it's not adding thing. You know, your little wit and your little criticism and your sarcasm is not doing you any good at all. It's basically releasing poison. Go ahead, my friend. You're releasing poison into the atmosphere that you're breathing in yourself. You're breathing it in yourself. You create this innocuous atmosphere, and yet you think you're going to walk away unscathed by it. Rest, my brother. There's a Sabbath rest for you. There's a Sabbath rest for you. Hello. There's a Sabbath rest for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Some of you are wrestling with the will of God. You're wrestling with answering the call of God. Now, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about ministry per se. Although all of it is ministry to the Lord, even your secular employment, so-called. But some of you are wrestling with just answering the call in your workplace, answering the call in whatever you do. He wants to take you higher in a realm, in an area, but it's causing you kind of to feel scared that the changes might bring about negative results. Listen, there's always a cutting away first before resurrection. If you're going to experience resurrection, resurrection is always after what? Death. Death. Hello. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Can we lift our hands and give God praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I know the Lord's talking to more people. I know the Lord's talking to more people. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. There's a place that is there that's right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Some of the best praying you could do is to consecrate and dedicate your life to the Lord. You know, maybe you've had a good season. Maybe you don't have anything that's itching 
but know this. Hallelujah, but know this. God has higher places for you to go. Just submit to the process. Consecrate yourself to the process. Hallelujah. When we were at the wedding the other night, I saw you, and I went into the future, and I saw you. And I don't say this to be negative or anything of that nature, but you had gray hair. You had gray hair, and it was still flowing like that, so I don't believe you're going to lose it. Praise the Lord. But I began to see you, and it touched my heart so to see you rallied around by groups of men and women that look to you for counsel and leadership and wisdom. The Lord wants you to know that the same spirit that was upon Solomon is upon you and that the wisdom of the Lord is manifesting and that people will see that you are a person of maturity and a person of faith and you'll be speaking into lives and lives and lives. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Prize wisdom above everything. Prize wisdom above everything. Above money, fame, fortune. Hello? You'd rather be poor and have wisdom. But the two don't go together. I said the two don't go together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads, saith the Lord. A crossroads in which you can go one direction or you can go my direction. For all this has built up a foundation for you to go into a better life. For I have brought the desires and the dreams that are on the inside of you now. But now because you are in a time of transition, saith the Lord, you will have to be more prayerful because the enemy has an alternative path, an alternative plan. Be, seek my face and come to the garden alone and I will begin to reveal things to you that will bring wholeness to your family wholeness to you personally and will bring that significant other that I have for you into your life, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's people making decisions. I mean, there's more people in the seats making decisions right now than are up there. Hello. Holy Spirit's here. His wisdom is here. His wisdom is here. Mm. Hallelujah. 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 Rachel, I just hear this. I'm in over my head. I'm in over my head. I don't know how, how to get out of this. I don't know what to do. I, don't, I, I feel like I'm drowning. But the Lord wants you to know that he's your life preserver, that he's the one that's extended his hand, and he's going to pull you up and out. He's going to pull you up and out. And the depression that you've been feeling, 
the sorrow that you've been feeling, the heaviness that you've been feeling is broken in the name of Jesus. Right now, we break your power over her life right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. A critical spirit, a critical spirit, uh, not necessarily towards others, but towards yourself, towards yourself. It's never good enough. It's never good enough. It's never good enough for Rachel. Rachel's never good enough for Rachel. I just, I just come against that spirit right now in the name of Jesus. That harassment right now in Jesus' name, I command it to leave her, torment her no longer in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for great clarity, great clarity, great clarity. Jail, turn around here. Hallelujah. Put your hand on her belly and begin to pray in the spirit. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, fill her fresh. Fill her fresh with your spirit. Fill her fresh with your spirit. Fill her fresh with your spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just sense you looking in a mirror, and you're looking in a mirror, and there's another Rachel, of course, your reflection of Rachel. But that Rachel is saying, you know what? You're too fat. You're getting old. You got this under your eyes. You got that. And then also, you can get away from that physical mirror, and you can get driving in your car and not even have a mirror and your actions are criticized your decisions are criticized you just constantly are self-doubting and you're second guessing yourself and you don't feel confident it's a spirit daughter it's a spirit it's a spirit it's not just you being you You've said that for a long time. You've said, yeah, well, this is just who I am. This is what I do. No, no, it's baggage, and it's got to go in the name of Jesus. It's got to go in Jesus' name. Leave her now, right now, in the name of Jesus. Leave her now in Jesus' name. Leave her now in the name of Jesus. Be gone. Be gone. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, spirit of vanity, leave right now. Many people think spirit of vanity is, is just a proud, but no, spirit of vanity is tormenting. It's a tormenting spirit, and it torments you because it never you never measure up to the mirror. You never measure up. Be gone right now in Jesus' name. Be free. I'm telling you, there's a freedom coming right across there's a freedom coming right across right now. There's freedom. There's a spirit of vanity. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Father, in Jesus' name, we just lift up our sister. And we just come against any and all these symptoms right now in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you, Father God. Release, release right now. Release of the Spirit of God, the anointing of God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I come against every symptom. I command it to leave right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Spirit of fear, be gone. In the name of Jesus. Leave her now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The scripture that comes to mind is when Jesus said in Mark the 16th chapter, he says, if you eat or drink any deadly thing, it will by no means harm you. 
So whatever has been brought into your body has no ability to harm you any longer. You are free. You are free. You are free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Mm. I had a vision one time where I was dealing with a young man who was so enamored with his body. He would sit in front of the mirror and pump weights and things of that nature, and he would just, you know, begin to just admire himself. It's not hard to do with all the mirrors in the gym, you know. And I remember he was doing curls. I saw him doing curls. And uh, he was looking at himself in the mirror, you know. And all of a sudden, a spirit came out of that mirror and came, came into him. And it was a spirit of vanity. Spirit of vanity. And you'd think the spirit of vanity make, make you feel all puffed up. That's just the outward side. That's just, that's just, you know, putting on some clothes and acting like you're the rock star or the, you know, the media personality that you want. It's imitation. But inside... Whenever he got on the scale, it tormented him. Whenever he looked in the mirror, it tormented him. Whenever he would put on clothes and it might not fit exactly right, he was tormented, absolutely tormented in his mind. But he put on a face. He put on a face, you know, he did look good. He would strut around and look good, but inside he was absolutely crumbling. He was absolutely deteriorating on the inside. But I'm here to tell you here that there is a spirit of vanity on the culture today in which people are focusing only on the outward appearance. The Bible teaches us to not focus on the outward appearance. It doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves, we don't dress well or wear jewelry or anything of that nature. What it means is our emphasis should never be on the outer man because the outward man is perishing. It is the inward man that is renewed day by day it is the inward man that we need to continue to consult and to get with in Gethsemane. It's, it, you deal with it on the inside, you'll walk in victory on the outside. You deal with it on the inside, hello. Some people have irreconciled uh, soul checks that have not been reconciled in the register. They haven't taken care of words that have been spoken against them. They haven't taken care of actions that have been done towards them. And they haven't, been, they haven't taken care of what they've done to others. They haven't reconciled. Listen, when you ask to forgive or you forgive someone for offending you or doing something to you, you need to do the same thing when you've offended somebody. You need to reconcile that to the cross. Get back to the press. Get back. Don't get it wallow up in pride because that's what offense and anger does. It causes us to well up like a big old bullfrog in pride. And we begin to think that the tragedy or the problem that we've went through, we guard ourselves against it happening again. All the while, 
We build a fortification around us to protect us from it happening again. I'm talking to you, my brother. Protecting yourself from it happening again. The heartbreak, the heartbreak, the pain, the hurt, but all the while we are building a cell for us to be held in bondage, unable to see, know, and experience the things we desire and love. Pride does that. Pride does not just come through victory. Pride can come through defeat. Pride can come through discouragement. Pride can come through disappointment. And the enemy knows that God knows the proud afar off. The enemy knows that pride brings destruction. The enemy knows that pride will make you low. And he's using it against you. We're seeing it in our culture today. Every time they try to introduce something in our country, it's all, it's good for you. Well, the enemy does the same thing. You don't want to be hurt again? Stop being who you know you need to be. Oh, this is for someone right, right, right in this area right now. It's for many of them. You've retreated into your shell and into your enclosure, thinking that it will protect you from the pain that you experienced this past season. But know that my grace is only found as you stretch yourself out from that and begin to experience me in a greater dimension. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How do you close this out? Well, we're going to do it. We got the people here to pray. Maybe you didn't feel like you wanted to do it in front of people. I don't care what your excuse is. You need to walk away free. You need to walk away free. You need to walk away free. So they're going to be here. I'm going to close the service out so you can get your kids and your babies. And praise God, it's a beautiful day. But God's doing beautiful things in here. Amen. And if you need to pray at the altar, they're available. I mean, we, we will start. We'll just go into the next service. I don't care. I want what God wants. We pray, the staff and I pray, Lord, just do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Amen? But don't walk away with your need unmet. Don't walk away unsaved here. Don't walk away without Christ. Embrace him. Receive him. He is the solution to all of your problems. If you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, don't walk away without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you need healing in your body, if you need deliverance, Praise God, we're here. Amen? Hallelujah.
So I dismiss you in the name of the Lord. Be blessed. Thank you, Lord.